Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hi folks, welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm Steve, and here with my buddy Steve, like always. How's it been, Steve? How's it been? (laughs) (laughs) Well, isn't that how it always works? So, we kind of figured, you know, the last couple episodes been kind of heavier topics and not, you know, just a little bit more thought-provoking, whatever. So we figured this week maybe change it up a little bit, talk about some of the lighter stuff, uh, maybe actually talk about something other than social theory and that kind of fun stuff. So uh, we're going to talk about the tools of the trade with gaming. And quite frankly, the only thing you really have to have is some imagination, but there's a lot of stuff right after that that gets very useful. So uh, where do you want to think we ought to start, Steve? Well, I think we start with the most common tool that most game systems use. Not all of game systems use this. I've seen a couple, um, and we can delve into those a little bit deeper, but let's talk about dice and the importance of dice and what dice you might be seeing in gaming and, and where we would go from there. Shiny math rocks. Yeah, shiny math rocks make my goblin brain happy, happy. <laughs> To go off on a mini tangent, just just before we even get going, earlier today I was literally repainting pips on some of my dice because I was like, uh, time to change things up. Okay, I have, well, I don't think I've ever done that. It's fun and easy, but anyways, so typically when you're referring to RPG dice, you're talking about a set of polyhedral dice, or where you're referring to a D4, a D6, a D10 a D100, a D12, and a D20. D8. Oh, and a D8. Yeah, I left an 8 out of there. I don't play barbarians very often. Barbarians <laughs> are D12s. D8 is a long sword. Oh, that's right. That is a long sword. So anyways, but that's what you're typically typically dealing with. Now, different games focus on different dice. With Dungeons and Dragons, it's a D20 system. That's your main die that you're going to be rolling with other systems, some focus on D100, some focus on D8, some focus on specific dice that they have for the game. So um, in a future episode, we want to delve a little bit deeper into the Genesis system. The Genesis system uses a uh, D8-shaped dice with different symbols printed on it. Yeah, there's actually, I think, uh, the one is a D8, one's a D6, and one's a D12. Oh, okay. I didn't know. I knew. I don't know a lot about Genesis. I knew that the miniatures game that they have of uh, Star Wars X-Wing is all D8s. Okay. Yeah. I, I believe I'd have to go dig out the thing that I have in a, behind me in a box, but I believe it, it actually uses, well, technically for Star Wars, seven separate dice because there's a separate force die, but there's okay. good dice and bad dice of three different shapes, so to speak. Well, and, and I was interested... Kingslayer uses coins rather than dice. Is that the... As an RPG. One that's based off the Rothfuss novels? Yes. Okay, yeah, I've heard some AP recordings on that. Yeah, and it, I, I was interested because I heard one of the recordings and they were like, oh, do your coin flips. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. Because everything was a coin flip. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. Given the nature of the people involved in that, I expect that to be a much more narrative-heavy game than a mechanic-heavy game anyway. Right. And so, dice are fairly simple. Again, they're plastic chunks with 
numbers or symbols or whatever printed on them. Sometimes all of the above. In the D&D community and other places, dice can be some of the most contentious arguments happening at a table because you're relying on this to generate a number or a symbol. If you can't read it, I have issues with dice that you can't read. <laughs> right. Hey, you know, I can understand that. I mean, you know, everybody has different people have different means of selecting their dice. You know, I've heard of people that they play a different set of dice as far as like they pick out this colored set of dice to play with this character. And the first time I heard that, I'm like, huh? I have a set of dice I use when I play games. Right. I have a set of dice that I use to play games. And then when those dice aren't rolling well, I'll throw them across the room and grab a different set of dice to play games. I forget who it was. Somebody, I saw something on Twitter this week. That someone, someone somewhat famous in the gaming community was referring to someone else in the gaming community, and they were recalling a time they were at that person's house, and the guy was like, hey, come on, we got to go out and teach these dice a lesson. And he has a handful of dice. So they go out in the backyard, and he sets the dice on a stump, and smashes them with a hammer. <laughs> I've never quite done anything like that, but I can say that at my college campus where we played, D&D a lot, you might find a couple dice just scattered about behind furniture that I just whipped across <laughs> an empty room. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's happened. I, 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 I have definitely rolled, um, I have rolled some bad dice and had consistently bad dice. That's about the time at which I'll start throwing. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not the random, oh, I got a one. It's the, I've been rolling a five on this dice for the past 10 rounds. Oh, yeah. And you know what, though? You hear role players joke about it all the time. But I, the dice gods are real. And oh. they do things in mysterious ways. <laughs> and, well, and this, you know, you know myself and the other person involved in this kind of story I'm going to tell here. But there apparently is a thing in the group that both of us play in that if you play a paladin, you cannot roll good initiative. No. <laughs> I played a paladin for... Eight levels, I think I rolled a double-digit initiative twice. <laughs> okay? It, I, I know, I, I was there for most of those. So, it got to a point where I would joke with the, the guy that was DMing, hey, can I roll initiative at an advantage if the second die is a D6? <laughs> and we never actually did it, but there was a couple times where I did it just for fun, and I actually would have done better with the d6 instead of my d20 but it was the same die that i used for attacks and everything and it worked perfectly normal rolled well for attacks it's just for initiative it rolled like crap and then we switched games and the guy that was dming was playing a paladin and he couldn't roll for crap for initiative either with different dice at a different spot at the table <laughs> it was just like what the hell i have had moments where if I'm trying to do something completely ridiculous, and I mean completely ridiculous, that's when my dice will just run hot. It's when I'm trying to do some mundane task, or my players are trying to do some mundane task, that they're go that it's just going to be like, I try to open the door. No, you don't. Yeah, it is. Meanwhile, if you try to open the door with your toe while you're walking on your hands... Yeah, yeah, yeah no, you could do that just fine. Yeah, now... You use pretty much all just generic plastic dice, don't you? Or typically, yeah. I I'm I'm a big fan of Chessex dice. I'm a big fan of game science dice or any anywhere you can get 
plain dice. And I mean, like, you can get fancy-looking plain dice. I have things with, as a DM at a table, I like to be able to read what my players rolled from across the table. And I'm going to call out a company that does this badly. (laughs) Q Workshops makes dice that you can't read from across the table. And that irritates me because they're too ornate and you can't see what the number is. They're fancy. They're nice looking. But I, as a DM, if I go, hey, roll and die, and I look across the table to see what that die roll was, I don't want to have to go, hey, what was that die roll? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've seen dice like that online. I do most of, I think the dice that I use are, well, most of my sixes, I think are probably scavenged from board games or something when I was young. But yeah, my D20s and all my eights and fours and stuff, I think most of them are Chessex. I I like those, you know, and there are people who get into two. You you have a lot now where you're getting a lot of specialty dice makers, people making them in various metals, sometimes cut out of, you know, semi-precious stones. There's all kinds of stuff out there now if you if you want it. Yeah, and and ornate dice are fine. If you want to use ornate dice and your your DM's going to allow that, hey, more power to you. Just understand that I don't like it because again, I like to be able to read dice from across the table and not right on top of them. And there are just certain manufacturers that make really nice ornate dice that I would never roll because there's either too much going on and I can't read what it says or I wouldn't do that to my DM and be like, here, figure out what this dice says. Good luck. You know, what? I have seen dice before that I'm sitting there with the die, so to speak, in my hand and I can't tell what the face is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, maybe I'm just being overly utilitarian about it, but the primary purpose of the die is to generate a number. For the die to generate a number, I have to be able to read it. <laughs> you know, the other thing that a lot of people do, well, when I'm thinking about this, you know, there's tons of dice roller apps on your phone. You can get for, you know, iPhone, Android. I actually have one on, on my phone that does a couple of specialty dice as well for some of the other games. Right. And I don't have a problem. And that's another great free option if you're just getting into the hobby and you're sitting down at a table for the first time. You can show up with just your phone at this point. You can have your entire character sheet on your phone. You can roll dice from your phone. And as a DM, and any DM, if they're giving you a hard time about using a dice roller on your phone, ask a couple questions. See if they can maybe inform you why. I would say, at my tables, almost any dice roller is welcome. Just tell me the name of the app you're using, because I want to know if you're using, oh, this is loaded dice roller. (laughs) (laughs) Because those exist. But... 99% of the time, they're just random number generators. And from a programming perspective, it's really hard to screw up 1 through 20 number generator. Yeah, well, I'll take your word for it, because my programming goes not working right. I know that if I hit it with a hammer, it's bad. Hammer does not work well with electronics. Yeah, (laughs) but sometimes. Back in the old days when the uh, self-checkouts were really bad, I used to joke, do you know how you use a self-checkout? Go to the hardware department, you grab a hammer. (laughs) <laughs> I hate self-checkout. Not to tangent off, but I... Oh, they just... But, no, in, in 99% of the time, a dice roller is welcome at the table. It's, like I said again, back in the day, and you know this, and I know this, if you didn't have dice, you were borrowing somebody's dice, you were asking, hey, can I can I use your dice for a second? Yeah. I need to roll this. And so that led to people buying them. But now with free dice rollers everywhere, everybody has a smartphone at this point. 
you don't need anything to play most RPGs. You can sit down at a table and go, all right, well, can I create a character sheet on my phone? You know, is there a dice roller out there for this? And just go from there. Yeah. Realistically, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, in my opinion, people don't think about it enough, but it's really made the hobby very inclusive. Oh, yeah, very much so. Because you can say to anybody, hey, do you want to try D&D? And they go, I don't have anything with me. Oh, no. Do you have your smartphone? Okay, cool. We can play with just that. Yeah, this is something, and I heard this uh, on a podcast I was listening to this week. A guy was talking about, and this was back, I forget, one of the original D&D box sets. He was playing it by himself, and apparently the dice had been lost before he found the set or whatever. So he did not have the dice, and I know this is obviously long before Amazon or whatever, and he was a kid, so it's not like he could just go somewhere and buy a set of dice. So he actually took and made little scraps of paper and wrote the numbers 1 through 20 on these scraps of paper. And then he just dropped them into a, a cup or a hat or something and just drew. I mean, that's an option too. You know, I mean, I, I, I heard it and I went, wow, I never thought of that. Yeah, that's not quite a solution I would have come up with. Uh <laughs> well, especially not given, you know, what we have access to now. But, you know, this was probably sometime in, I'm guessing, early to mid 80s. Right. And I can understand that. Again, it's getting a random number in, in most cases, not in all of the cases. I'm not saying this is a catch all for every game that you're going to play. But in most cases, it's getting a random number between one and X and playing the game. And I mean, X can be anything. Mm -hmm. Now, there are odd dice. You know, typically you go from a D4 to a D20. But there's, you have one, a D32, D33? D34. D34. I have a D30 and a D34. Um, I was poking around, I think it was Amazon the other week, just looking at weird dice. And I think it's Coplow makes a D14 and a D5. Oh, the, um, the, odd, the odd size dice. I've seen yes. the odd size dice. I like odd size dice. They're fun. But I thought about buying a set just because, well... They make people ask questions, really. Yeah. You sit down at a table with a with a D3, and everybody's going to go, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and they're, you know, and different companies make different dice differently, too. I know one of your pet peeves is the way that numbers are oriented on a D4, a traditional D4. I have gotten so used to the Chessex D4, where the number is at the top point of that die. So you roll it, you look at the top point, and... It is so bad that if I roll a D4 that has the number on the bottom flat, I cringe so hard. <laughs> but I know companies now that are making less dangerous D4s because, again, if you've been around this hobby at all, you know, don't ever want to step on a D4. In any case, they're, they're making D4s that I believe are uh, basically D8s that just go one to four twice. Right. I was just looking at a dice set that had one of those, a, a D8 that goes one to four twice. These are not set shapes either. There was a dice set a long time ago called a crystal dice set. They were long and pointy, mm -hmm. sort of rolled forever, but they were same as regular dice. You could roll them, look at them, and they would give you a number. Mm -hmm. Dice are, aside from if you're buying weighted dice, what are you doing? Like, you're, like unless you're really just trying to have a, a laugh at the table, 
because I've seen weighted dice that only roll ones. <laughs> well, but see, that's too where you go, and we'll probably get into this when we do a more in-depth discussion about systems, but in D&D and Pathfinder, 13th Age, a lot of those games you want to roll high. You know, you want to roll on the top half of the die. Right, and there are some games that you want to roll low. Right. I mean, Call of Cthulhu, you're looking to roll under a number. Yeah, most D100 systems are roll under, just because, boy, that would make for some screwy math to figure that out. <laughs> D100 roll over. <laughs> uh, that sounds miserable. But there there are a lot of D6 roll under systems. Like, um, I know GURPS works that way. But yeah, sometimes rolling high is good, sometimes rolling low is good. Right. Now, theoretically, and this is a difference, and I've noticed it, primarily you'll notice it on D20s, although I have noticed it on some D8s as well. There are, if you want to call it traditional dice, and what they call spin-down dice. Right. Spin-downs are typically used for keeping count of something. Rounds in a game, turns, you know, something along those lines. However, when you use spin-downs in... Spin-downs are said to be not truly random, which is... I don't know how true that is. Somebody's done the math. Somebody who's way more educated in the math than I am has done that and said spin downs are not truly random because they do spin down. So there's a possibility of you rolling them in such a way to get the result that you want every time. I, I don't know. It's a D20. Roll it. I'm sure it's better than it's better than not having it. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I guess theoretically, if a spin down dice is out of balance, it's going to tend toward one side of the die more. Where a traditional d20, you know, your one and your twenty are opposite each other, and then your two is next to your twenty, and your nineteen is next to your one, and and so on and so forth. So without it being obviously weighted, you got a pretty darn good chance. Of rolling a 2 instead of a 20. Right. Again, if you have nothing but a spin down, yeah, that'll work. Yeah. And quite frankly, if that's all you have and the person you're playing with has a problem with it, then they'll probably let you use a die. Yeah. One good tool set that I will say, if you're running a game as a DM, get on Amazon, find a pound of dice. They're typically anywhere from 10 to 20 bucks and order that. You're going to want that pound of dice because you have somebody new show up the table. They don't have dice. Hey, here, have a dice set. It's the ugliest dice set you're ever going to use. Nobody's going to care. Hey, and you know what? Your ugly dice are the ones I like. You know, like I, I've looked around the table playing and oftentimes I, for whatever reason, tend to prefer solid colors. Right. Well, and that's not necessarily what I'm referring to. Well, no, but yeah, like, oh, I've got some old D20s in a bag that look like they came out of the fishbowl. <laughs> but yeah, and then you know, the other thing that's always kind of funny with dice is you have all the superstitions people have about them. Uh, oh, you know, dice jail. Well, look at, you know, again, critical role. Look at Laura and her dice. <laughs> Laura's dice is, it gives me nightmares. Well, see, and I don't even actually watch it. I, you know, I listen to the podcast feed most of the time. But I, you know, I gather that she has like this grocery bag sized dice bag that sits next to her. I'm being a little bit facetious, but. It's, it's pretty close. You're not too far off. Oh, jeez. And, you know, people get superstitious. All oh, this, this set, I can only roll this set for doing this. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you know, the one thing that, you know, just because you never know how nooky people are about stuff, I, I generally try not to touch other people's dice. Right. <laughs> At least without being invited. I used to play with a guy. He would roll your dice. When you weren't at the table. Well, he rolled one of the new player's dice. 
And for the rest of that session, that new player was like, I can't hit anything. My dice aren't rolling well. So we just started joking that, oh, well, so-and-so breaks dice. Mm -hmm. And apparently he ended up carrying that with him. And everybody was like, oh, he breaks dice. Oh, okay. We're not going to let him touch our dice. Like, no. Well, you know, but I mean, look, you know, like you hear the jokes about it that apparently Will Wheaton can't roll dice. I don't know. I, I hear about it in some of the online stuff about Will Wheaton's dice rolling. You know, I've heard, um, what was it? I I was oh, it was somewhere, I think it was a, somewhere on Discord, I was reading something the other day, and they were talking about, they were in a Star Wars game, and they have this character that's built to be a face character, right? So, and again, this uses the, the special dice with all the symbols, but for these social checks, she's rolling a fistful of dice against normal difficulty and getting just terrible results. Ask her to do a mechanics roll where she rolls one die against three and she gets the best possible results she can. Oh, absolutely. And this was happening consistently. So they actually, they said it was getting to the point where they were frustrated and they said, look, tell you what, when you roll them, we're going to read the dice backwards <laughs> to try and, you know, like, look, they're, they're, they're random theoretically. And look, you can't disprove random unless you can somehow get into what's supposed to make it random, which in case of physical dice would involve destroying them. So, yeah, sometimes the dice just do not cooperate with you. Yeah, sometimes the dice just do not cooperate. And that's that's the moral of most dice-rolling RPGs is, well, the dice are not going my way. So, playing off bad dice can make for some of the best games that I've ever had. Mm -hmm. You fail an investigation check... And now you're staring at a blank wall for an hour because... Oh, yeah. How many times have you just been like, I have shoes? Yes. that's Well, that's typically what I do when I roll like a three on an investigation check. Right. You do a perception check and, and the DM goes, you don't notice anything. Oh, great. Yeah, wonderful. You know, and but the thing is, is sometimes failure can be more fun. Oh, absolutely. I've seen this, and to me, it's most apparent, like, if you're watching or listening to, like, Call of Cthulhu games, where the players know full well that there's something evil and hideous ahead, <laughs> but the characters don't, and so half of the fun is watching the players squirm and at the same time laugh because they know it's about to get really bad. They just don't know how. Well, that was us playing Delta Green. Mm -hmm. we got to a point where it's like, there's this thing, we don't know what it is, and it started, like, things started happening, and we all went, nope, 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 nope. Well, yeah, I was I was running that, and I could tell I had you guys spooked a little bit, I just wasn't sure, you know. That was also the first time I'd ever run a game online, so. You had the one player really spooked, he went and bought stuff to make a flamethrower. <laughs> That's true, he did. <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna buy things to make a flamethrower. Okay. <laughs> I had half forgotten about that part of it. Yeah, he had it in the car, and we just were like, no, no, no. The cleaners are coming. It's fine. But yeah, it, it's, yeah, sometimes, I mean, everybody wants to succeed, but sometimes not succeeding is just as much fun. Oh, absolutely. Failure can be a blast. Yeah. I love it when a plan falls apart. Except character death's not fun, but when a plan to, like, do something falls completely apart, it's great. Well, Okay, we'll save this the full story for another time because it's rather long. But way back when I was in college, I used to run a Rifts game. And the most memorable session that I ever ran to this day in any game is what has 
thereafter after been referred to as the night that Bubba went crazy, in which, in attempting to introduce a new character to the party, who was, I believe, a pixie, it triggered the insanity of this ex-military character, and essentially, the party ended up killing each other. Like, we're talking, they blast the hell out of the grocery store because Bubba is trying to shoot the little ball of light that he thinks is an alien that's out to get him. So they they go back to their little base or whatever, and somehow you know, they subdue him, they get him back to the base and whatever. And then he and another character jump in a helicopter and are flying, and then they crash it, and somehow the other character dies, but Bubba survived. It, it just, you know, it just kept going and going and going. And in the end, everybody died. Except for, I think, technically the pixie was still alive, and the player kind of mockingly was upset at me, because I told him he had to make a new character, too. <laughs> but to this day, if I ran into anybody, anybody that was at one of those games, and asked them about the night that Bubba went crazy, they'd know exactly what I was talking about. Oh, I had one of those, trying to remember what the exact circumstances of it was. I've had a couple of those. I had one of those where I had a, I had a player completely turn on a party. And it was weird. We were playing second edition D&D. I was just messing with my party. I'm like, all right, everybody on the boat, and we're going to go to this island in the middle of the ocean just to check it out. It was an island inhabited by vampires. Because vampires are fun. And putting vampires on an island is kind of neat because they can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> so they get there. They realize they're surrounded. And one player just goes, I take a knee. Then the whole party goes, what? Little did they know he had failed a he had failed a seduction role earlier <laughs> and was oh. charmed. And so they're like, What why did and it was a total party kill. I mean it, there was no there was they fought, but there was no point in them fighting. It was a TPK, but it was worth it because he it was like, Man, you guys all you gotta do is not fail these seduction roles and you'll be fine. Nope. Yeah. But like you said, you know, it's something you remember to this, and, and they, I don't know about the players, the other players at the table, but... They absolutely do. Yeah, and it's one of those things where, yeah, that failed roll kicks off a sequence of events, and it just, it's watching the water swirl around the drain, but it's funny as shit if you step back from it for a second. Yeah. So, we've talked about dice. Let's go ahead and move on to my second favorite thing. As a DM, let's talk about screens <laughs> and the usefulness of a DM screen and how I never realized as a young DM how useful those were. I always used to play dice on the table, open the book, you know, I never played with a screen. And I started using one, um, not fairly recently, but I started using one decently recently. And boy, those are useful. Yeah. They are. And they're useful for a variety of reasons. One, they usually, as long as they're decently made, you know, thoughtfully made by whoever made them, they have information on them that you routinely need to reference. So instead of you having to flip open a book to chart X, it's right there. You know, it's right in front of you. The other thing they can do that sometimes I think is overlooked is depending on the artwork on them, they can help set the mood of the game too. Right. On the outside, you can, that's, that's really useful on the inside, depending on which one you're using, but on the inside, you can choose what you want for your game type. So maybe you're a combat heavy, heavy DM. 
So you want a lot of combat papers or combat information on that inside of that that screen. Maybe you want more along the lines of, uh, I find it useful for poisons. I find it useful for weird status effects. I do that all the time. I will put weird status effects on my screen mm-hmm. because it's the ones where I'll be playing a creature and it goes, it has this status effect. And I'll have to be like, well, where is that? And I, like, scramble through the DMG or player handbook to try and find it. And it's so nice to just have on a screen in front of you and you just glance up go, oh, there it is. Yeah. I mean, I know when you were running Cyberpunk, because you had me printed off, <laughs> it was a lot of the combat stuff. Yeah, a lot of the modifier charts and healing charts stuff like that is super useful yeah i think dm screens are one of the most underrated useful tools you can have yeah they are i like them like you said it's it's quick reference information and then the other thing to think about a couple things one you know your average screen that's made for a specific game is probably going to run you in the neighborhoods of 15 to 25 bucks depending on the game system and the publisher and Whatever, you know, for, for 5th edition D&D, there's obviously a number of different ones out there. Um, some other games, they may be a little harder to find, or there may only be one or two. But in a pinch, you can always make your own. And, you know, I did that for Cyberpunk because the published game screen, while it is still available in PDF, well, you can't set a PDF up on the table, didn't be able to look at it, and I have a crappy tablet and a phone. Well... I don't deal well with electronics. That's just me. But anyway, so I'm like, well, how can I get a screen? And so what I ended up doing is I had these little plastic hinge things that are designed to clip onto like cardboard or, or whatever that I had. I don't know where I got them, but I had them. But you can actually order them on Amazon if you want to. And I went to the dollar store and I bought a sheet of, I don't know, 316 foam board for like science fair projects or whatever. And I cut it down to the height I wanted, and I put my little hinge things in it. And then I got those little page protectors that you can get. Some people actually use them to keep their character sheets in. I had some double-sided tape. Use regular tape. It doesn't really matter. And I taped those to the inside of the thing so I could just slide the printed-out pages with whatever information I wanted into the screen. And so I had the information I wanted as opposed to what comes on the published screen, even if I had just printed out the PDFs. Right, and I have instructions and have been playing with building one for a while. I just haven't gotten around to doing it. I'd like to build myself a nice wooden DM screen. I have the materials, I just don't have the time. (laughs) Oh, that's on my someday list as well, because there are some out there that are just gorgeous pieces of woodwork. Oh, absolutely. And and the other thing, what we're talking about, post-it notes. If there's some little bit of something... Don't, it's not on a screen. Write it on a post-it note. Stick it on the inside of the screen. Oh, I have something. Get off of notes, but something you should definitely invest in because I love them and stole them from one of our players. Oh. Um, the little post-it flags. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're so useful. <laughs> oh, and, and it being in that pen thing, like what you have? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So you can even buy, I've, I've seen it on Amazon. There's a, a four-fold screen out there that's designed for you to slip your own pages into. And it's, I'm going to say, 25 30 bucks. But the thing about that is that's also good for any game you want to play. The one other thing I like about having a screen is you can do stuff behind the screen to just 
put that uncertainty into your players so they don't know what's going on. Sometimes the most terrifying thing for your players is if you roll dice and just go, hmm, interesting, and that's it. Right, absolutely. And sometimes not having them able to see your rolls is great because even if you're doing something that's straightforward, Mm -hmm. roll a die, react to that die roll as if it's the opposite of what you just rolled, Mm -hmm. and watch them stress. (laughs) Yeah, and and, you know, there are people out there who, who... Well, the DMs can fudge dice rolls. Well, yes, we can. But to pull back the curtain to those who have never DM'd, I've almost, I I don't think I've ever fudged a dice roll in not player favor. I have once. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, there was a very specific case for that one. You're you're scribbling stuff down on on your little pad, keeping track of hit points, and you're going, crap. I mis misestimated this. This thing's going to wipe the floor with them. Um, yeah, I'm cutting the health in half. Right. I've I've done that. I've had the health on things. I've had situations where maybe I had four of something written down. Well, now there's six of them <laughs> because you're tearing through them too fast. Yeah, you know it. It's not about and and that's the thing. I think the 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 rolling out in the open thing comes from people who have played with adversarial DMs, where they feel like it's DMs versus versus the players. And that's not the way the game is really supposed to work. I mean, if you like playing that way, and you can find a whole table that likes to play that way, good for you. Generally speaking, that's not a recipe for a fun game for most people. No, and it's a little bit odd going back to those old D&D books, because I know in second edition it does sort of it it incentivizes you to play players versus DM. Well, but I think some of that also goes to its heritage as a war game, where right it was a versus game as opposed to hey, there's a story happening and we're going through it together and we're both playing off the elements that the other introduces. Right. Moving on from screens, we get into game boards. And using game boards for spatial recognition at your table. Now, by game boards, I, are you referring to maps or like the dry erase boards or all of the above? Uh, all of the above. Okay. <laughs> so if if, if you want to just have a map on the table, that works too. If you want to have a dry erase board, or in our case, we have a, a chalkboard, it all sort of works to help give spatial recognition, especially in combat. Theater in the mind combat is fine, but having that bit of spatial recognition is useful when it comes to, hey, there's this going on around you. You need to see that there's this over here. It, it really does help with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and for those purposes, you know, you can buy assorted, you know, dry erase mats, boards with square grid, hex grid, etc. on them. What you mentioned we use is actually... um. Uh, gone to Home Depot and got a two-foot square chunk of pegboard like you would put on the wall in front of a workbench. And I painted it with chalkboard paint because, you know, it just kind of occurred to me when we were talking about it was that the holes are laid out on a one-inch grid, which is the same as, as most of your standard grid maps. You can either play on the holes or in the squares between the holes, and it makes it really easy to draw stuff out. Literally, you know, I had the, the piece of pegboard was sitting in the house. 
I went and bought a can of uh, spray chalkboard paint, a couple boxes of chalk, and we've been using it for two, three years. Right, exactly. I mean, it's 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 useful. It's it's incredibly useful just for again, just spatial recognition to draw a map to go. Here's a map of the city, real quick. You're mm-hmm. here, you know. And again, now, this is one of those things where having the grid laid out on it is great for, for combat. But again, if, if you're struggling for, for something to use for this, and go to the dollar store, buy a sheet of poster board. That gives you two surfaces. You don't have to use the expensive alternative every time if you don't have it. If you want to, that's great. You know, if you want to build out Dwarven Forge or any of the other you know, train things. I mean, that could be a wonderful thing. There are people who who really, really get into crafting train settings for encounters. And I think it's it's beautiful and it's impressive craftsmanship. I just don't have the time slash patience slash ability to do that. Right. I completely agree with you. I I think you can you can make beautiful game boards and setups and on all of that it's just you know sometimes you don't have the time some i've found i've used them in the past i found that i found that i don't like city grids or dungeon tiles i find them a little bit clunky unless you have them set up beforehand because you have to then think about how is this laid out and and try and make something work with what you got uh the other factor in, in what you were just saying is where are you playing? You know, if you're right. playing at your house, then you can have this stuff set up in the other room or under a sheet, you know, on the couch next to, you know, whatever. So you can just pick it up. If if you're playing at a friend's house or at a game store or at, you know, a cafe or whatever, now you've got to transport all this stuff. And, and you know, some of the stuff I've seen is incredibly elaborate. and to transport it would be extremely difficult. Oh, completely. If you're playing at a fixed location that is that is your house or somebody's house, maybe that's an option. If you're playing at a store or a coffee shop, man, that might not be the option for you. Moving on from that and sort of in the same vein, Let's talk about miniatures and using miniatures and maybe not necessarily, not just using miniatures for D&D, but using miniatures in general. Mm-hmm. And and those can be useful as represent, representation of your characters. And those don't have to be expensive. It used to be that miniatures had to be expensive because they were all pewter and they were just, just not cheap. Um, now you can go and you've done this. Go to the dollar store. Pick up little green army army men for a dollar. Yep, bag army men for a buck. They make great assorted bad guys. And a little trick that you can use if if you do want to go that route, buy a handful of sharpies in different colors and draw different color their hat hats different colors or whatever. Or if you really want to, I suppose you could paint them just like you would regular minis. But there again, I don't have the patience slash ability whatever required to do that now i know you paint minis some i do and i like to paint minis some people don't have the patience for it and i completely understand that some people have all of the patience in the world and can paint minis like nobody's business there are there are people out there that 
that's what they do. They paint minis. If you're, I mean, honestly, if you're, if you have miniatures and you want them painted, but you're not good at painting, if you have a local wargaming scene, talk to those guys. If they don't, if they don't do it themselves, they probably know somebody that paints minis. I know there's a guy local to us that he will do commissions. You take him the miniatures you want. You tell him, hey, paint these this way. He'll paint them up and and do them. And that's what he does. I don't know that he does stuff on commission, but I think he would be willing to do stuff. Uh, the aforementioned Mr. Flamethrower is quite into painting. Right. And, and again, if you have, if you don't have the abilities, if you don't have the abilities to, and you want them painted nicely, Again, ask most most wargaming groups if they're playing 40k or whatever they're playing. Most of them have either abilities to paint miniatures or know somebody who has the ability to paint miniatures. Well, aren't there rules in most of those games where your minis have to be painted at least to a certain level to be quote-unquote legal for use? Certain ones. Not all of them, but certain games, yes. Well, yeah, army men... Um... You know, another thing that, that we've done in the past, uh, literally just use a handful of D6s with different numbers facing up. We'll work in a pinch for bad guys. Right. Or, you know, good guys or dice, anything. Um, you know, little cardboard tokens. I know um, I was, when we were talking about this topic, I just randomly threw into Amazon RP, tabletop RPG accessories to see what would come up. And they, you can get these little, you know, they're they're like one inch round bases with a little two things of clear acrylic or whatever. They come up, and you can print out a little picture and stick it in them. I've seen people who are buying pebbles, clear hobby pebbles, mm -hmm. and just mod podging pictures to the back of those, and they're they half look three D, and they're a pretty decent monster token. Yeah, the only real limit with, well, and, and this is anything in gaming, really, is your imagination. You know, you can use pennies, whatever. Right, you're you're not limited to what you can afford. If you can't afford anything, I'm sure you have something laying around that you could probably use. Pennies or, or even just little bits of paper with stuff written on them. They're a little awkward to handle, but, you know, like the guy who made his own dice with scraps of paper, basically. Go raid your old childhood board games. <laughs> I'm sure you have cardboard standees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, you could use Monopoly tokens. You yeah. Know, it, it's not as cool to sit, go look down and there's my big tough barbarian with his battle axe. Well, I'm a top hat today, but you know. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that top hat's the bugbear. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it works. And in, in reality, as much as it's nice to have you know, the elaborate sets and, 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 you know, like you see uh, Critical Role do or, or, you know, I'm sure a lot of the other streams. For the average game group where everybody works a day job and they're having to buy everything, that's not practically feasible. I mean, if you can and that's how you choose to invest your money, good for you. I wish you all the fun in the world with it. I just know that in my life anyway, with the amount of time that I have to spend going to my job and doing stuff there and everything else I need to do. I do not have the time to invest into doing things that elaborately. And 
to a certain point for me, again, this is my personal taste, I'm perfectly happy to, to just use that map for spatial reference, and I'm really kind of imagining the scene in my head anyway. Oh, absolutely. I very rarely, as a player, I very rarely, unless it's super critical where I move, I very rarely look at the board and go, hmm, where am I going to stand? I have a pretty good idea in my head of where I want to be as far as spatial reference. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to go over that direction. That's uh, I, I'm often the same way, although I, I do have that tactical side of my brain that kicks in every now and then. Oh, yeah, I, I do too. I, I've definitely looked at a couple situations. I, I used to play rogues a lot, so I looked at a couple situations which was like, I'm in front of the guy now. If I do this, I'll end up behind the guy and get flanking, which is a fourth edition thing. That <laughs> There's a 3-5 <three>, <laughs> thing too. Yeah, but flanking was like... Flanking was broken in 3.5. Flanking was like a dirty word in 4E because it was so broken. <laughs> you could be standing, technically because of how they did it, you could be standing in front of the guy and still get the flanking bonus. Yeah. Well, and, and that goes to, that's a, a game theory thing with, you know, you have, you know, are you, are you playing something in a very simulation-y way or are you playing something, you know, and that varies by game system. Right. But yeah, I mean, minis, and, I, and like I said, you know, I think that, that, you know, there are people that do amazing work, and I appreciate it, but it's not my taste at the game table. If I'm playing at a table that does that, fine, um, someone can paint me a mini. <laughs> so, we've been talking a lot about physical tables, but what happens if you're playing online? And there are tons of options for online play tons of options whether it be roll 20 tabletop simulator D&D beyond is actually rolling out shortly their own I, I think it's actually technically rolled out now if you're in the beta but it should be rolling out soon they're rolling out their own online role-playing go on sit down play the game i know uh drive through has one now too uh astral yeah drive through has one fantasy grounds there are literally tons of good options for playing online rpgs with your friends over the internet and it's easy now it wasn't easy a while ago to do that but it's easy now to just find oh i have a group of people in discord that want to play so we'll all hop into roll 20 because roll 20 is free and play whatever yeah, And, you know, you can do that with Tabletop Simulator, but Tabletop Simulator costs money and you have to have a computer that can run that, you know. Yeah, we've literally played games over Discord. Well, in this, at the, that time my computer was down. I was literally using my phone. Right. I mean, and there are Tabletop Simulator type games that run off of people's phones where you can, Discord will stay open in the background and you can just run the run the board from your phone. Mm -hmm. they exist it's just because you can't go to a physical table doesn't mean you have to avoid playing rpgs and you know our goal here is if you're into them or if you're not if you're just checking this out because you're not into rpgs but you want to get out there and play something and and go on you know play online with people play in person with people however you got to do it i mean it's 2020 so the world's a little bit weird, so in a lot of cases it is, yeah, play online, but get out there and, and play some RPGs. Yeah, 
Now, the one advantage, you know, Roll20 and a lot of those platforms you were talking about is they have dice rollers built into them so that everybody can see what you rolled or the DM can see what you rolled. There are bots on Discord for various different game systems. Uh, I'm not going to say all of them, but I know they're out there for for most of the bigger ones. Uh, you know, like, I mean, for me, look, my outlook has typically been if I'm going to sit down and play a game with people, I think that it's reasonable to trust them to just sit there at their computer and roll physical dice in front of them and tell you what you got. RPGs are not about winning. <laughs> at least no. that's my opinion. I, I think that maybe there's one or two, but I, I really don't think that there's a point in, in winning in an RPG. And again, just because you won the just because you won the battle doesn't mean you won the war. And and that's a lot of what RPGs are. It's a lot of oh great, you did awesome in combat. Now deal with social consequences. Yeah, yeah. There's you know so many sides to it. And, I mean, geez, you know, we're, we're touching on the topics that we could go on and on for hours about. But, you know, the thing is, is that because it's an online environment, it's still primarily an activity based on verbal communication, which the Internet has made possible through literally, you know, we're, what, 35 miles apart? Roughly. But, you know, you could just as easily be on the other side of the planet and we could still be having the same conversation. Exactly. You know, or, or we could be talking to someone, you know, the two of us and any combination thereof. And especially, you know, online play is becoming more of a thing for people who live, say, in more rural areas where there just aren't as many people around. Thus, there aren't as many people that are into RPGs. Or they aren't into the games that you want to play. You know, we both listen to uh, one podcast where, well, both hosts actually play a lot online because of where they live. Right. And, you know, younger me would have loved to have the tools that exist now. And obviously Roll20 existed. There were different tools back then. But if I knew what existed now back in, say, 2010, 2011... I would play. I would have played a lot more than D and D Fourth Edition and Second Edition. <laughs> I would have definitely been playing. You you would have met me, and I would have been like, "Oh yeah, Palladium. I've played a ton of Palladium." Like, <laughs> and yeah, well, we'll talk about that another day because I Palladium, you know, Rifts Rifts Engine was the first game I really fell in love with, and I still to this day think it's an amazing setting. But I'm not as lo in love with the game engine as I used to be. Right. Well. And with that, I think, let's go ahead and move on to our games of the week. So, do you want to start this one off? No, I'll, let, I'll let you go. I, I'm still debating as to what I want to do. Okay, I actually found one, and I just sort of stumbled across it the other day. I, I was I was bored and looking around DriveThruRPG, and I found a game called Ultraviolet Grasslands. And it is a, they describe it as a psychedelic RPG crawl. And that's sort of what it is. It is a game that takes... Um, so, I, I know you're not very well versed in movies. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen the movie Heavy Metal? Actually, no, I have not. Okay, so it takes... So, it takes sort of the art style from some of those heavy, metals, heavy metal bits. So, have you seen the art style? It's a very... I'm familiar with like the, the, the poster art type stuff. Okay, good. If you 
look up the poster art of heavy metal and then you look up ultraviolet grasslands, you'll understand it's very much that 1980s liquid television, Aeon Flux, like that type of art style. Mm-hmm. And it takes that sort of tone and mix it with Oregon Trail. Okay, I, I've actually heard of this title. I believe it's in what's currently referred to as the OSR scene a lot, isn't it? It is currently, yeah. Sounds interesting. They're not quite an official release, like full official release. They're saying end of September, which is, I mean, we're at the beginning of September, but that's close enough for me. Uh, it's out of Kickstarter, so it falls within my, like, this is good. You can get, you can go on, look into it a little bit further check it out. I I really dig the art style. That's what turned me onto it and then I started reading the how the game works and I got a lot more interesting. Fair enough. You got more to add on that? No, that's that's what I have for mine. Okay. Well, I think I'm going to going to go to something and technically it's not out yet. Quick start is I believe there is still maybe a week or two to get in on the late pledge manager on this, but they actually just Last week, dropped what they're calling the final beta. This is something I actually am a Kickstarter backer on this, uh, back quite a while ago. And so clearly they're calling for the final beta and blah, blah, blah. It should be out soon. It's something that's called The Spy Game. And what it is, it is 5e D&D powered, you know, that game engine. But it is designed to play James Bond, Mission Impossible, Burn Notice, this kind of thing. Put out by a company called Black Cats Gaming. Like I said, you can get the quick start on drive through and probably you've never heard of Black Cats Gaming, but the main guy behind the game, I believe his name is Sam Webb. I don't know if he's the head of RPG development, but he is in RPG development at Modifius. This is his personal side project. So it's not some sort of first attempt type thing. This is these are people who know how to make RPGs, make RPGs for a living. You know, the art quality in the quick start and everything is is pretty cool. I haven't had a chance to get it on the table yet. But if, if you want to do, like I said, Mission Impossible, Burn Notice, James Bond, that kind of stuff. I do know they, you know, they had uh, rather interesting ammunition mechanics and stuff with it. And it's all in, you know, the 5e system. So if you know how to play that, you be able to pick it up and you know start playing yeah i've been excited for spy game for a while well like i said i they haven't told us exactly when they're shipping yet but i imagine if they're getting ready to close the pledge manager they're basically going okay we're ready to send it to the printer we just want to know how many right you know and it's like i said it's it's from people who who know game design so it's it that was one of the reasons i i kind of decided to back it you know this was like a year ago when i backed it but was i figured you know this is people in the industry it's not as if it's someone i've never heard of with a a brand new game this is someone who knows what they're doing and and i feel like i can trust to actually end up with a quality product oh absolutely i like i said have been excited for spy game for quite a while because because i badger you about it (laughs) yeah you badger me about it but it it's it's been it's been on my radar since you said something to me about it. I've been sort of watching it because it is a very well-produced game for for it being an indie indie developer, for it being somebody who's never really done too much. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, well, and, and to be clear, like I said, while it is under the Black Hats gaming label, 
it, to my knowledge, unless he has struck a deal with his boss for distribution, it is not under the Modifius umbrella. This is his side company, even though his day job is at Modifius. To my knowledge, this game is not officially associated with Modifius. Right. And I think with that, we've reached the end of the podcast. Yeah. So I want to thank you for listening. Be kind to one another and play some RPGs. Yes, yes. Be kind to one another. Play some RPGs. And uh, another thing, yeah, if you found our podcast here, though, and you think we're actually decent, please drop us a review on, on whatever you're listening to us on. According to people who know a lot more about how podcasts work than me, it supposedly helps people find us. And at worst, tell your friends. Tell them you listen to Two Idiots Ramble for an hour and they made you laugh or something. They made you think about RPGs. That's, <laughs> yes. That's our whole goal. <laughs> yes, that's that's really our whole goal. Make you think about RPGs, and hopefully you enjoy it. So with that, I guess we'll sign off. So like you said, be kind. Go play some games. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you, and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.